Thank you, Miss Nancy. Well, our scripture lesson is this Psalm 51. Uh, many of you might recognize it as a, as a staple for Ash Wednesday service every year. It's a part of the lectionary reading uh, for, for that day. Uh, but it is also the lectionary reading for today. And the title of the sermon is Let It Go. Let It Go. Uh, it's only happened to me one time uh, when I've actually uh, not gotten my luggage or my baggage after a trip. I'd gone on a cruise, and if you've ever gone on a cruise, you know that on the night before you get off of the ship for the last time, you put your luggage outside your door, and then somebody comes and picks it up. And then uh, they place it in these zones in what looks like this big warehouse. And so they tell you what zone your luggage is in, and you go to that zone and you find your luggage. Well, I went to that zone, and my luggage was nowhere to be found. And, and they said, well, maybe it got put in another zone by accident. And so just wait around until everybody on the ship picks up their luggage, and then there probably will be one piece of luggage left, and that will be yours. And so that's what I did. I waited and waited and waited, and all of the zones, the luggage just began to reduce, and, and all of a sudden there was one piece of luggage left, and it was not mine. Apparently, uh, a newlywed couple that had been on the cruise and may have had some other things on their mind, when they were leaving... He didn't know what his new bride's luggage looked like, but there was one put right next to his luggage, and so he grabbed both, and he took them off, and he took my luggage with him. Now, fortunately, I got my luggage back, but I'm wondering, how many of you have ever had the experience of your luggage being lost? Okay, now, how many of you, that that's more than I expected, really, um, how many of you got your luggage back, you know, within, so most of you got it back. Well, the truth is, is that according to the research that I found online this week, 99.5% of all luggage ends up in the baggage claim right where it's supposed to be when you get off of the plane and you go to pick up your luggage from, from the uh, surveyor belt, the belt there. 99.5%. So only half a percent of luggage gets lost. Now, the good news about that is that 95% of the 0.5% of luggage that gets lost, it's not there waiting on you when you get off of the plane or the boat, is found and delivered to you within five days. So... 0.5% chance that your luggage, and you all might want to play the lottery. I, oh, should the preacher say that? I, I'm amazed that there's so many people here that have lost luggage, but at least you got it back. Um, so 0.5% of the time does your luggage get lost, but 95% of the time that luggage gets made back to you within five days. I bet you know where that uh, 0.5% uh, the 5% of the 0.5% where that luggage ends up, right? Scottsboro, Alabama, the unclaimed baggage center. 
So if you didn't get your luggage back, there's a chance that somebody next to you is wearing something that you used to own at one time. If you've made your way down to the uh, unclaimed luggage center in Scottsboro, uh, Alabama. Uh, it's amazing to me that luggage is one of those things that we don't want to lose when we go on a trip because it's got everything that we're going to need to have a good time and an enjoyable time. It's equally amazing to me that there's a lot of luggage that we need to lose, baggage that we don't need to carry, that somehow we just never let go of. I wonder if there's anyone here, and you don't have to raise your hand for this question, but is there anyone here that's been lugging around some baggage that you don't need anymore or that you shouldn't carry with you anymore? see, I think that's what's happening here in Psalm 51. It's David's realization that there's some stuff that he just needs to let go of. And, and, and Psalm 51 is David's attempt to do just that. You, you probably remember the story. It's not expressly uh, discussed in Psalm 51. But if you read the, the superscription that, that is up just above where the psalm begins, it says that this psalm was written in response to David and Bathsheba, the story of David and Bathsheba. You might remember that story. You know, David was uh, walking outside on the roof of his home one day, and uh, he saw a woman named Bath taking a bath, and so he called for her to come over to his place, and some things happened that shouldn't have happened, and, and, and she ended up getting pregnant, and so he was worried about the fact that he had just uh, 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 impregnated this woman while her husband was away fighting a battle for him, and so he sent for that husband to come back home. And then he suggested that while you're home, you ought to go home and see your wife. And, and, and this husband refused to do it. He said, I, I'm not going to go home and, and, and have special time with my wife when all of my friends, all of my fellow soldiers are on the field of battle. It wouldn't be right and it wouldn't be fair. And so he, he did not go home to his wife. Well, that didn't help David trying to solve his problem. And so ultimately David uh, arranged for this man to be killed on the field of battle. Uh, and then David could take uh, Bathsheba as his wife and, and it would be appropriate for then her then to be pregnant with his child. If you read that story in, I think it's Second Samuel, you'll see that, that King David breaks at least half of the Ten Commandments. And, and maybe you could make the case that he broke all ten Ten Commandments. Uh, just in this one incident in his life uh, regarding Bathsheba. And so David here in our scripture lesson is, is realizing that he has sinned. That, that he's got a lot of baggage that he's carrying that he needs to release, that he needs to let go of. Um, and so that's what's happening here in this text. The first thing that he does is that he begs God for mercy. And he doesn't beg God for mercy because of his status or his position as king. He begs God for mercy based on his understanding of God's steadfast love. 
And then he admits that he has sinned. That not only has his sin ever before him, but it's been with him since he was born. He recognizes that this isn't just an instance of me needing to be forgiven for this one incident between me and Bathsheba. This goes far deeper in my life. Sin has always been a part of my life. And it is time for me to stand before you, O God, and to to claim that I am a sinner and that I need your forgiveness. So the first thing that David does in this beautiful psalm is that he admits his sin. He acknowledges his sin. And that is such an important thing for David and for us to to realize that you and I, we can't be forgiven of our sin if we won't even admit that we've got sin in the first place. And so David says it is so important to examine ourselves and to see where it is that we have fallen short and we have missed the mark and we have failed to be the people that God wants us to be. And we need to admit that sin. It is only when we admit it and acknowledge it that we can receive help and forgiveness for it. The other thing that really stands out for me in this text is that David doesn't ask that his situation be changed now that he is calling on the steadfast love of the Lord. There's that line in there that sometimes gets lost about letting my crushed bones rejoice. It's as if David is saying that, that sin has a way of crushing us. And, and I'm not expecting you, now that I'm asking for your forgiveness, for all of that cru- those crushed bones to be made whole again. I, I realize that they may never be made whole again. But what I do believe is that even though I have been crushed by the weight of my sin, that experiencing the forgiveness that you offer me will still allow me to rejoice. And so that's what David asked for. Um, He doesn't ask for his consequences to disappear. He, He realizes that sin always has consequences. And many of those scars, many of those wounds live with us, remain with us throughout the rest of our lives. So he doesn't ask for his circumstances to change. He asks that he might change. That, that somehow his heart could be made new. That somehow God would renew a right spirit within him. Uh, that, that God could somehow restore the joy of his salvation. All of those moments where he felt especially close to God. He wanted to experience those again. And David says, if you'll do this for me, God. If you'll restore my relationship with you, if you'll create in me a clean heart, O God, then I promise I will tell other people what you've done in my life. Because when you share with other people what God has done in your life, it gives God the glory for what God has done in your life, but it also gives everybody who hears that story hope that what God did in your life God might do in mine. And so I'm wondering this morning, is there some sort of sin that you need to let go of? 
If so, let it go. Don't claim it. Don't go looking for it. Don't pick it up. If you were at the unclaimed baggage center, you would be able to buy other people's baggage. Pay a price for it and it would be yours. Have you ever thought about that that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross? Jesus said, I'll take your baggage. I'll pay a price for it. So that you don't have to carry it around anymore. So that you can have a new relationship with me. So that you can know the joy even when your bones have been crushed. The joy that comes from my salvation. Let it go and receive this gift of God's love.